I invite you to open your copy of God's Word to the book of 1 John. Our sermon text this evening will be 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, but I would like to read our text from last week leading into our text for this week to help us establish context and to see the continuity of what John is saying here in this epistle. 1 John beginning in chapter 1, verse 5. This is God's holy word. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the the whole world. Let's pray. Our Lord, you have given us your word for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness so that your people might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Pray now that as we have read your word, we pray that now as I seek to preach your word, you would use this in our lives, that you would teach us, that you would guide us, that Christ would be glorified, and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable to you. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Children, if I had to guess at least one thing about you, and I really wanted to make sure that my guess was correct, I would guess that you like stories. That's a very easy thing to guess, isn't it? Because we probably all like stories, don't we? People throughout time have enjoyed stories, and especially stories about heroic figures. We see that in mythology from ancient times. People were inventing stories about these great heroes who would do magnificent deeds. We see that in history, real-life heroes who have done things that other people weren't able to do at the time. They rescued people. They went on daring missions. They were heroes. We love heroes of of every kind, from every time. We, We love heroes from medieval knights to space knights, don't we? We love heroes from uh, real kings like King David to uh, fictional kings like Aragorn and the Lord of the Rings. We, we love stories about brave people who rescue others, brave people who bring peace to their people. We love stories about heroes. And those stories oftentimes make us want to cheer, don't they? Children, do you ever hear a story about a hero, and at the end, when, when he does his heroic deed, you say, yes, that was great. We cheer. They get us excited. Why is that? Well, I think, in part, in large part, 
It's because back towards the very beginning, Lord God promised a hero to man. In Genesis 3.15, he promised a hero who would crush the serpent's head. And mankind has been looking for glimpses of that hero everywhere they can ever since. We love stories about heroes because we recognize that we need a hero. We recognize that we need a champion to earn restoration and peace for us. And as Christians, we recognize that we have such a champion in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? And that is basically what John gets at this evening in our text. In these two brief verses, the Apostle John is going to present to us this great hero who earns restoration and peace for his people. Here in John 2, 1 and 2, John says, in a nutshell, Christ is your advocate and your propitiation, your champion. So look to him for assurance of salvation when you sin. Remember John's great purpose in this epistle. One of his great purposes is is giving assurance to the readers. And so he again points us back to the Lord Jesus Christ, your advocate and propitiation, the one to whom you must look for assurance of salvation when you sin. We'll look at this in just two headings, as there are two verses. First, Christ is the advocate the sinners need in verse 1. And in the second verse, we see that Christ is the payment the sinners need. Very simple. The advocate the sinners need, the payment that sinners need. Well, that being said, let's delve into the depths and the riches of these two verses By seeing first in verse 1 that Christ is the advocate that sinners need. And more personally, Christ is the advocate that you need. Look at verse 1. John writes here, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. John does two things here for us. He shows us first our need and then again, and then shows us the solution to our need. Look at this, what he says first. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. What are these things which John is talking about having written? Well, broadly, he's talking about the entire epistle, but more specifically, he's talking about that section of scripture We went over last week the message about walking in the light. That if you say you have fellowship with God while you walk in the darkness, you're lying. But if you're walking in the light, that's evidence that you have indeed been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you say you don't have any sin, you're lying. But if you confess your sins to God, he will forgive you. Those are the these things which John is writing about here in verse 1. And we see from this that John presents to us an expectation of holiness. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John desperately and dearly wants you, dear Christian, just as he wanted these saints in the early church to see 
the great necessity of holiness in the Christian life. He wants them to recognize he's not just saying these things simply for the sake of saying them. He's writing these things because he wants Christians to live lives following the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the scriptures are given to us in part for our sanctification. The Lord has given us his word to direct us what we are to believe about him and the duty he requires of us. And it isn't just the Ten Commandments. That is an excellent summary of the duty which God requires of man, but it's throughout the entirety of scriptures. God says, here is how I want my people to live. Here is how I want them to walk. Follow after me. Be like me. Do the things which are pleasing to me. And John reminds us this evening of this great truth. The scriptures are for our sanctification. But I want you to notice as well the tone in which he does this. Because many times we can think of this great need for holiness as being something of a hard or harsh truth. But I think we should take note of John's very first words in this verse. He says, my little children. See, the apostle John understands that for Christian people, it, though it gets easier as time goes on and, and as we grow in holiness, the same way that it gets easier to ride a bike as you continue to learn how to ride a bike or do any number of other things, it's still difficult. We still have that remnant of sin which clings to us. So John here approaches the saints to whom he writes, approaches you this evening with great gentleness. And I think this is very important for anyone who is serving as an officer in Christ's church or who may serve as an officer in Christ's church in the future to understand we must be very vigilant against sin. We, we must confront sin, but officers must do so gently as well. We're to be good shepherds. A shepherd does not go around hitting his sheep to get them to where they're supposed to go. Sometimes he has to pick them up and, and carry them where they need to go. But the shepherd must also be gentle with the sheep. And here John is being very gentle, very gentle with the sheep. Because he's also expecting you to read these things and come to a conclusion He says, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. John expects you, dear reader, to come to the conclusion, wait a second. These are written so I may not sin, but I do. I do sin, John. I I know it. I know that I don't always walk in the light as I'm supposed to. I know that I sin and I need to confess that to God. I sin. I do sin. What am I to do? John sets up the need. And then he points us once again to the solution, the only solution and the great and glorious solution, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he does in the second part of verse two. He says, if anyone does sin, anticipating your need, the fact that you realize that you do sin, we have an advocate with the father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous. He tells us we have an advocate. Now, when we read this, just kind of briefly skimming over it, we might look at that and say, okay, we have a representative. That's excellent. We have a representative. But John is using a very particular word here that is only used, uh, I think, one other time in the New Testament, a paraclete. It's used of the Holy Spirit. Here, John uses it of Christ. He's using legal terminology. A paraclete was a lawyer in the ancient world. And actually, a little bit more than a lawyer. The paraclete was one who represented and pled the case of another, like a lawyer. But the paraclete also stood beside that person through the entirety of the legal proceedings. The paraclete didn't just say, well, it looks like we're about to lose this case, so I'm out. Good luck. The paraclete was there through thick and thin. He stood by his client during the whole entire trial. John says, that is who we have. Have. Now. Presently. He says, we, we have. We are having. Present tense, a paraclete. Christ is this paraclete now, just as he was yesterday, just as he will be tomorrow, just as he will be forever. He ever lives above to intercede for his people. And so when you sin, you can go immediately to this one who represents you and confess that sin, knowing that his blood cleanses you. You can go to him swiftly When the devil accuses you and says, you're so sinful, God would never convince, God would never forgive you. You can say, I am sinful, but that one took my sin upon me, him, and he has forgiven me. And Christ says, no, he's not guilty. He's innocent. He has my righteousness applied to him. When we sin and we're ashamed to go to the Father in repentance, we know that Christ is at the right hand of the Father saying, Father, this is your Son. The Father says, yes, of course. I recognize him. He's one of my dear ones for whom I sent my only begotten to atone for. We have that great blessing and that great promise because of Christ's great work. Christ is our advocate. And I've gotten ahead of myself a little bit because John also tells us who the advocate is. It's a very beautiful language. He reminds us that it is Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's not just anyone that we have as an advocate, but it is Jesus Christ. Jesus, his, his name, the Lord saves. The one who would save his people from their sins. It is the Christ God's anointed, the one whom David said in Psalm 2, the Lord sets on Zion his holy hill who rules and reigns over his people. It's, it's Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the pure one, the holy one, the one who never sinned, who perfectly fulfilled God's law in your behalf, dear Christian. Jesus Christ, the righteous, is your advocate. This is a great and wonderful truth.
and I think lends several applications for us this evening. First, John talks about writing these things so that you may not sin. So I think we should ask ourselves the question, am I making use of Scripture for my sanctification? God has given us the Scriptures in part for sanctification. Christ prayed in his high priestly prayer, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The Scriptures are meant to guide us in knowing what we are to do, what we are to believe, are you reading your Bibles regularly, faithfully? Are, are you listening, really listening to the preaching of the word each Sunday? Do you come to worship and as soon as the preacher begins to preach, you just kind of zone out and say, well... I'll catch maybe a couple things here and there. Are you really paying attention? This is a great gift that God has given to us in his word. We ought to make better use of it than we do. A second thing that I think we should glean from this is, is actually a warning uh, that uh, this fact that we have an advocate, this fact that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, uh, should teach us to actually be on guard against antinomianism. Antinomianism is lawlessness, saying, well, the blood of Jesus cleanses me from my sins. I have an advocate. I can just do whatever I want, and grace abounds, right? No. May it never be, as Paul says. No, this does not give us a license to sin, it's the exact opposite. It gives us great cause to pursue holy living, following after Christ with all that we are, that with all that we have. Finally, I think this should teach us and encourage us to be quick to prayer and repentance. We have an advocate. So oftentimes it seems that when we sin, especially sins that we've been battling against for, for a long while, we sin and we say, I've done it again. I don't know that I can go to the Lord and repent right now. It's just, I, I don't know that I'm really repenting because I keep doing this over and over. And so we end up waiting and we become like David in Psalm 32. We don't confess our sins until finally uh, day and night, God's hand is heavy upon us and our strength is dried up as in the heat of summer. And finally, we come to our, sen our senses and we confess our sin to the Lord. We shouldn't be that way. We have an advocate with the Father. We have Jesus Christ, the righteous, interceding for us. We ought to go swiftly to the throne of grace to repent of our sins. Swiftly. Because of the advocate which we need, and the advocate which we have. That's the first thing which John teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ. But the second thing which he teaches us is Christ is the payment that sinners need. Look at verse 2. We read there, He, that is Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Christ is the propitiation for our sins. I think a lot of times, propitiation becomes one of those words in uh, Christianese that we use a lot and yet might not have an actual uh, definition for. 
You say, oh, Christ is the propitiation. Somebody says, what does that mean? And you say, he, he propitiates for us? What does propitiation actually mean? It's good to have definitions. And then by defining this, we see that this is part of the whole of Christ's atoning work for us. Propitiation is a payment for sin which makes peace with God. It makes peace with God. And so what John is emphasizing here is that part of Christ's atonement where we now have peace with the holy, holy, holy God. We who were once far off have been brought near. We who were, as Hosea talks about, once not God's people are made his people. We have peace with God. This is wondrous. This is amazing. Because (laughs) it's not so much that God needed us to be at peace with him. It's that we needed God to make peace with us. We were the ones who were in rebellion. Who were fighting against him in our trespasses and sins. And so then Christ dying on the sin and forgiving our sins and making peace with God for us teaches us that we know, we, it's not that we no longer, but we, we just, we don't have to make God pleased with us by what we do. No, Christ has made God pleased with us by what he did. And we are given the righteousness of Christ. And so God is pleased with us. And our quest for holiness, our, our, our desire to, to serve God well and truly, our, our desire to please God even. We're not earning any peace. We're not earning any of God's pleasure. He's already pleased with us because of what Christ has done. So we should remember that. That the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness himself, has brought peace to us by his great Work. Christ is the payment for our sins that makes peace with God. We should rejoice greatly in this. We don't have to earn salvation. We don't have to earn God's favor. Christ has done that and has given it to all who trust in him. What a beautiful and glorious truth. And then we come to perhaps the difficult part of this verse. Not really that difficult, but difficult if we make it difficult. The second part of the verse, Christ is the propitiation for sins, but Christ is also propitiation for the sin of the whole world. John writes, he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What does he mean by this? This is a question which is puzzled theologians for a very long time, people who come to very different conclusions. Our Arminian brothers and sisters will say, well, obviously, this means there's a universal atonement. Jesus died for anyone and everyone. We who are of a reformed persuasion say, no, Christ died for the elect. So what is this verse talking about? I think the first thing that we need to realize about this verse 
is who the focus is. Is the focus of these two verses on us, on people, on sinful humans, or is the focus on Christ? I think you will notice very clearly the focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not focusing on us. It's not focusing on the whole world. It's not focusing on sinners at all. It's, it's telling us of the sufficiency of Christ's work. The extent which John is talking about here is not a universal atonement, but rather the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the savior of the whole world because he is the only savior for the whole world. He is the exclusive savior for the whole world. John is saying here to his original readers and to us that Christ is sufficient not just for the original readers, but also for you. Christ is sufficient, not just for us, but for those who will come in the future. Christ is the all-sufficient Savior, not only for those in the ancient Near East, but also in the very modern West. Christ is the sufficient Savior for all men in all times, in all places, because he is the only Savior for men. John's point here is that Christ is the only way to the Father. One part of the world does not get to have one way to come to the Father, and another part of the world gets another way. It is not that Christians get to come to the Father through Jesus, and people of other religions can come to the Father through whoever they have. No, John is saying everyone in the world must come to the Father through Christ the Son. He is the propitiation. He alone is the propitiation for our sin. What do we do with this? How do we apply this? Well, first... And most appropriately, I think, we should praise Christ for the propitiation. How many times do you come to worship in the morning or the evening, and perhaps the morning didn't go well or the afternoon didn't go well, something is bothering you, you have something on your mind, perhaps it's throughout the week before you uh, do your, your private devotions, and you just think to yourself, it's just really hard for me to feel like praising God right now. I know I should. It's what I need to do, but it's, it's hard. Think of Christ's propitiation for you. Bring that to mind. How can you not praise the Lord for that great work of Christ when you think of it? This is fuel that you need to, to, to invigorate and enliven your praise of God. This is, this is a fuel which will, will burn hot for a long time too. If you make a fire and it starts to burn down, you could throw gasoline on it and it would explode and it'd be really hot for a really short amount of time. You could throw a, a pine log on it and that would burn really bright, but it would also burn away fairly quickly. Or you could throw a, a well-seasoned oak log onto that fire and a well-seasoned oak log will not burn quite as brightly as the pine, definitely not as brightly as the gasoline but it'll burn long and it'll burn hot. 
And those are the kind of things which we need in our praise of God. We need oak logs to burn long and hot in our spirit to cause us to praise God, to point us back to Christ, to enliven our hearts as we praise him. I think this verse also should make us examine ourselves as as John desires for us to do throughout this entire epistle. Cause us to ask the question, are you trying to make peace with God on your own? When you think about your sanctification, when you think about seeking to live a holy life, is it very burdensome to you because you think, I have to do all of these things to make God happy with me? I have to do all of these works to earn God's favor. John tells you here, you don't. You can't. There's only one who is a propitiating sacrifice. Only one can make peace with God. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you trust in him, if he has given his righteousness to you, you do not need to work to earn God's favor. Many people, from good intentions even, try to make that the, the fuel which causes them to live lives of holiness, but causes them to burn out because that's not the way God wants us to do it. We should live lives of holiness out of thanksgiving to God, out of joy, out of, out of a desire to be like Christ, not because we have to earn favor, but because we want to be like our Savior. We want to live like him. We want to look like our heavenly father. Don't try to make peace with God on your own, through your own power. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust that he has made peace with God for you. Follow after him in thanksgiving and joy and humble reliance. I hope these few verses have shown you the great glories of Christ. I hope it it causes you to recognize the great need that you have. I hope it's shown you how that great need has been met with the advocate and the propitiating sacrifice. Christ is the solution to our need. Peace with God and one who intercedes for us. See here in this text that Christ is the advocate and propitiation which we need. So we must look to him for assurance of salvation when we sin because he has made atonement for our sins, because he advocates for us when we sin. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I leave you with this final exhortation. When you sin, turn back to Christ swiftly, immediately. Repent immediately. And trust that your sin is completely is fully taken care of by your advocate and propitiation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we do thank you for this great truth of your word, that Christ is our advocate, that he is our propitiation, that he has made full atonement for our sins, and that he lives and intercedes for us in heaven. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great work. We ask that you would remind us of this so that we would repent swiftly when we sin and that we would follow after you with great joy and thanksgiving. Help us to do these things, O Lord. We are 
such weak and frail people. We most desperately need your help. We trust that you will help us because you have promised to do so. Be glorified, O Lord, in this we ask. In Christ's name, amen. Let's take a few moments to meditate and think on this truth of Christ as our advocate and propitiation, to thank God for it and to uh, pray, if need be, that the Lord would forgive us and help us to trust in Christ, the advocate and propitiation.